Good evening and welcome to the Spirit and Life Bible Study. My name is Jonathan. Our reader is Cara tonight, and I'm back from a nice little break. And our topic tonight is Joseph Part 2, Adversity. Uh, Joseph goes through some intense adversity between the ages of 17 and 30, and we're going to be looking at that period of his life. And to just sum it up very briefly, uh, somehow, as we'll see, uh, what goes on between the ages of 17 and 30 for him is that three things happen. Number one, he's hated by his family. Number two, he's sold into slavery. Number three, he's thrown into prison. And somehow, all of a sudden, one day, he becomes the ruler of Egypt. So how did that happen? Um, so, you know, tempts me to say, you know, how do you become the ruler of a nation that's not your own? Easy, just three easy steps, 14 years of, you know. And uh, so we'll be looking at what this means in the inner meaning. And uh, I'd like you to join me for an opening prayer, if you will, friends. Our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, we thank you, Lord, for bowing the heavens and coming down, for giving us your word. We pray for your presence among us. We pray for insight into the teaching that you've given us, Lord. Amen. Amen. All right. Thank you, friends. Um, mm, this, uh, this, this Bible study, uh, let me tell you a little bit about the Bible study. Spirit and Life Bible Study looks at the Bible through a Swedenborgian lens. The name comes from Jesus himself, who says that his words are spirit and they are life. Spirit meaning that his words have a spiritual and heavenly meaning and purpose, and life meaning that his words are alive and aim to bring us to life by teaching us how we are to live if we wish to become spiritual and heavenly. And since Jesus is the Word made flesh, what he says of his words applies to all the words of the Bible. They all teach who he is and how to get from hell to heaven. So, a great pleasure to be with you, sending out love to those of you who are watching online, whether at the moment that I think is the now or the moment that you're at in the now, <laughs> now, whenever then is, and people who are getting the audio, the podcast, and so on. It's really a blessing how the Lord sends this out uh, all over the world. It's just very exciting to see. So the Joseph story. People have said, have they not, friends, that there's no one in the Old Testament that you want your kid to grow up to be. But I think Joseph is an exception to that. I do want my kid to grow up to be. Joseph is, is really good. He's a really great guy. And uh, he corresponds to give it away to the Lord himself, to Jesus when he was in this world. And it gives us a little hint of what Jesus was going through. If you could turn to Genesis, the first book in the, all the way to the left in your Bible, and let's look at chapter 37. Uh, two weeks ago, we had a Bible study where we looked at where Joseph came from, his brothers and all that. Now we're going to look at, at his life and these three phases of adversity, uh, being hated and envied, and then being sold into slavery, and then being imprisoned. All of it, not his fault. Let's start at uh, chapter 37 right there in verse 1. Now Jacob dwelt in the land where his father was a stranger, in the land of Canaan. This is the history of Jacob. Joseph, being 17 years old... Aha! See? He's 17. So that's how old he is at the beginning of our story tonight. 
Joseph was feeding the flock with his brothers, and the lad was with the sons of Bilhah and the sons of Zilpah, his father's wives. Yes, uh, let me flash back briefly, if I may, to last two weeks ago graphic where you had uh, these 12 sons, and Joseph was the second to last, and he's with the sons of Bilhah and Zilpah. Uh, there's much more I'd love to say about that, but um, Bilhah was Rachel's handmaid and Zilpah was Leah's handmaid, and it's meaningful what the sons are relative to which handmaid they are and all that, but that's the way Scripture always is. All right, so that's who he's with. He's with his brothers, uh, and... And Joseph brought a bad report of them to his father. Uh-oh. Yeah, you know... <laughs> That's not how to get along, you know. I mean, as it turns out, it is a great way to win friends and influence people in the long run. But in the short run, it, it's, he's, we're in verse 2. He's not off to a good start. All right. Then now, there's another problem in verse 3. Now, Israel loved Joseph more than all his children. And those of you, you know that Jacob and Israel are the same person. Uh, there's a different meaning to Israel than Jacob. It's a, it's a nuance. Jacob is something exterior and... Uh, Israel is something interior, uh, but they're the same person in, in Scripture. And Israel loved Joseph more than all his children. Now, we can see why from that last, last time story, if you were with us for that, uh, that Rachel was the love of his life. The, Joseph's mother, you know, was the love of his life, and he labored a long time to, to be with her, and it was a long time even after that before they had children together. And so he's, he's got a, a real soft spot for Joseph, even though it doesn't say that right here. It does explain it, but it doesn't mention Rachel. But what, is, what does it say, why he loved him? Because he was the son of his old age. Yeah, see, it took a long, long time to get to that Joseph stage. Also, he made him a tunic of many colors. Yes, so he had this special piece of clothing. This Hebrew word is very obscure, and people differ on what it means, uh, but it's a special piece of clothing. But when his brothers saw that their father loved him more than all his brothers, they hated him mm. and, and could not speak peaceably to him. Okay. So at 17, the abuse from the siblings, you know, seems to get going in earnest. Uh, they cannot speak peaceably to him and they hate him. And why do they hate him? Is it because he's evil? No. It's not because he's evil. Do they hate him because he was nasty to them? No. They just hate him because he's beloved. You know, that was his big crime, what is, was that his father loves him. Now, you know, maybe he, father, dad could have kept a better secret of that. I don't know. Uh, but uh, that was all that he did that was wrong, and yet they hate him. So they repay his goodness with evil. And? Now, Joseph had a dream, and he told it to his brothers, and they hated him even more. Oh, okay. So they already hate him because... His father loves him. And now they hate him more because they had a dream. But they didn't even tell us the dream yet. What's the dream? So he said to them, please hear this dream, which I have dreamed. There we were, binding sheaves in the field. Then behold, my sheaf arose and also stood upright. And indeed, your sheaves stood all around and bowed down to my sheaf. And his brothers said to him, shall you indeed reign over us? They have no problem with the dream interpretation. <laughs> they just jump right to, oh, wait, I get what you're talking about here, you know. <laughs> or shall you indeed have dominion over us? 
So they hated him even more for his dreams and for his words. And for his words, yeah. Three oh. strikes against him. His father loves him. He had a dream, and he said something about it. Oh, <laughs> oh. Okay. Then he dreamed, so what did he do? He dreamed still another dream and oh, told is this it to gonna his go brothers. Well? And said, look, I have dreamed another dream. And this time the sun, the moon, and the 11 stars bowed down to me. Oh, now last time it was just, it seemed to be just the siblings, right? But this time it seems to involve the parents because you get the sun and the moon and the 11 stars, his 11 siblings, right? So okay, he, so who does he tell this dream to? So he told it to his father oh, he, and he his He told brothers. the father this time. That's different, right? Okay. And to the brothers. And his father rebuked him and oh, said to him... even dad doesn't like this dream. <laughs> he, he loves him above all others, but it's a... Don't be saying that. Go on. <laughs> his father said to him, What is this dream that you have dreamed? Shall your mother and I and your brothers indeed come to bow down to the earth before you? Now, this is a curious thing to say because Joseph's mother died back in Genesis 35, verse 19. She's not alive anymore, and yet he's still interpreting it that the sun and the moon and the 11 stars is that the, shall, shall your mother and I, you know, are we all going to bow down uh, to you, to the earth? And interesting little note in verse 11. And his brothers envied him. Yes, you see? Isn't that behind, sometimes like the hatred... It's, it's really an end, like this guy's having dreams. And I want you to remember that little detail in the dream uh, in verse 7 that his sheaf arose and then it stood up, right? That's standing up. Kind of what we're talking about tonight is another title might have been, you know, when, when Joseph stands up, like how, how does he get to that point of standing up? How does that work? All right. So fix that in your mind. Let's keep going. His brothers envied him, but his father kept the matter in mind. Yes, and isn't that a little bit like Mary keeping and pondering all these things in her heart? You know, mm -hmm. when you have these troublesome children like Jesus and Joseph, you know, you, you, you have to think about what, what's going on. Mm -hmm. Go on. Then his brothers went to feed their father's flock in Shechem. Okay, they've gone to Shechem, okay? And Israel said to Joseph, Are not your brothers feeding the flock in Shechem? Come, I will send you to them. So he said to him, Here I am. Now, friends, one of the reasons that we're studying the Joseph story right now is because at a deep level, it relates to the Easter story and to Jesus' time in this world. Isn't it interesting that the Father, quote-unquote, sends him? Do you see how this is related to the idea in the New Testament that the Father sends Jesus to the, the children of Israel. And what does he say? He says, here am I, right? He, he, that's what the prophets say too. He, he's being sent on this mission to go see them, uh, talking about the divine itself and the divine human. Go on. Then he said to him, please go and see if it is well with your brothers and well with the flocks and bring back word to me. We talked about sheep in the last uh, few weeks and and uh, this is a picture of the Lord coming to visit the church to try to see how is the church doing, you know? It went off to feed the flocks in Shechem, and so he's supposed to see, is it well with them, with the flocks? So he sent him out of the valley of Hebron, and he went to Shechem. Okay. 
Now a certain man found him, and there he was, wandering in the field. And the man asked him, saying, What are you seeking? So, picture this. Joseph is, he goes to Shechem, and he's just walking up and down. And So, what, what's, what are you looking for? So he said, I am seeking my brothers. Please tell me where they are feeding their flocks. And the man said, they have departed from here, for I heard them say, let us go to Dothan. Aha, this is a picture of when the Lord came into the world, he went to see the church, and it wasn't where it was supposed to be. It was supposed to be in this loving place and caring for people, it was supposed to be in Shechem. And the Lord is there just sort of like, where is everybody? <laughs> you know, uh, like this isn't where we're supposed to be. But he does a very moving thing when, you know, like you might think, oh, well, he goes there and then he'll go back to dad and just say, well, they're supposed to be in Shechem. They weren't there. I'm not wasting my time on this. Are you kidding me? You know, or something. But he doesn't say that. What does he say? So, so Joseph went after his brothers and found them in Dothan. That's what the Lord does. He comes and he wants to find us in Shechem. But if we're not in Shechem, he wants to be with us wherever we are. So sure, let's go to Dothan. I'll go to Dothan, whatever state you're in. I'll be with you in that state. And so he goes to Dothan. Go on. Now when they saw him afar off, even before he came near them, they conspired against him to kill him. So there's no echo of that in the Easter, like the conspiring to kill. There's nothing. I don't see a parallel. Okay, go on. Then they said to one another, look, this dreamer is coming. Isn't that wonderful? This dreamer is coming. Not our brother, you know. Or, or dad's favorite or something. It's just this dreamer. Go on. Come, therefore, let us now kill him and cast him into some pit. Good plan. And we shall say, some wild beast has devoured him. Yeah, good story. <clears throat> we shall see what will become of his dreams. <laughs> Do they have a bit of an attitude about the dream thing? Yeah, yeah. Okay, we'll kill him, throw his body in a pit, tell mom and dad, tell dad. <laughs> Mom's in the spiritual world. Tell dad that uh, some wild beast killed him. Go on. But Reuben heard it, mm. and he delivered him out of their hands and said, let us not kill him. Reuben was the firstborn. And Reuben said to them, shed no blood, but cast him into this pit, which is in the wilderness, and do not lay a hand on him, that he might deliver him out of their hands and bring him back to his father. Yes, Reuben's not going along with where the rest of the brothers are. Uh, so... Go on. So it came to pass when Joseph had come to his brothers that they stripped Joseph of his tunic, mm. the, the tunic of many colors that was on him. Yeah, not sort of, oh, hi, or what news from home? Just like, get that coat off of him. Then they took him and cast him into a pit, and the pit was empty. There was no water in it. And it's just reminiscent. It's interesting because the, there's many layers to this. It's not a simple thing that this... But it does seem like there's sort of echoes of the crucifixion in here. You know, when, when they, Jesus is, is sort of, you know, they take his clothes off to whip him and mm -hmm. stuff like that. The, uh, there, there seems to be echoes here. And there are also stories of the prophet. The prophet Jeremiah is thrown in a pit for a long time. And, and uh, so that pit seems significant. But there's no water in it, right? Mm -hmm. And they sat down to eat a meal. Yes, don't, doesn't it work up a sort of hearty appetite? abusing your brother you know i can't believe that they just, yeah throw him in the pit and then okay oh could you pass me that that looks good uh 
That just seems unbelievable. Go on. Then they lifted their eyes and looked, and there was a company of Ishmaelites coming from Gilead mm. with their camels bearing spices, balm, and myrrh on their way to carry them down to Egypt. Yes. Now, Ishmael was a relative back through the family tree. You know, there's Abraham, and then his son was Ishmael, and then Isaac. And, and so this was kind of uh, Jacob's uncle. The, these were descendants of that other branch. These were kind of cousins of theirs. So, and here they come, and they're, they're going to carry spices down to Egypt. So Judah said to his brothers, What profit is there if we kill our brother and conceal his blood? Yes, Judah and Reuben are the two that sort of speak for him. And Reuben speaks for him first, and now Judah's trying to protect him. Go on. Come and let us sell him to the Ishmaelites, and let not our hand be upon him, for he is our brother and our flesh. Yeah, the first sort of voice of, uh, I, I don't know, you know, we just, hey, come on, you know, this is our family right here. And his brothers listened. Yeah. Then Midianite traders passed by. So the brothers pulled Joseph up and lifted him out of the pit and sold him to the Ishmaelites for 20 shekels of silver. Yes, and isn't that interesting? You know, in the crucifixion, you have the 30 pieces of silver that Judas throws onto this stuff. There's just these echoes. This is, you know, it's not a perfect one-to-one -one correlation, but there are all these echoes in this story. So now Joseph is going down into Egypt, and apparently all this happened without Reuben's knowledge. Hmm. Go on. So and they took Joseph to Egypt. Then Reuben returned to the pit, and indeed Joseph was not in the pit. And he tore his clothes, and retur he returned to his brothers and said, The lad is no more, and I, where shall I go? So they took Joseph's tunic, killed a kid of the goats, and dipped the tunic in the blood. Then they sent the tunic of many colors, and they brought it to their father and said, <laughs> We have found lie. this. <laughs> we have found this. Do you know whether it is your son's tunic or not? Yeah, we're, we're not sure whether this is... We found this. Uh, we're not sure if this is Joseph. <laughs> oh, man. And he Lying murderers. Are, are they're bad, huh? And he recognized it and said, It is my son's tunic. A wild beast has devoured him. So they didn't even have to say it. He sort of concluded that. Without doubt, Joseph is torn to pieces. Mm. Then Jacob tore his clothes, put sackcloth on his waist, and mourned for his son many days. So, you may have been in this situation, I'm sure you have in different respects, good friends, where you lose something that is most precious to you. You know, what is, even though he's got a lot of children, this was his favorite, and his favorite is gone. So this is a great, great grief to him. And all his sons and all his daughters arose to comfort him. But he refused to be comforted, and he said, For I shall go down into the grave to my son in mourning. Thus his father wept for him. There's a little hint there of the life after death that Joseph has gone somewhere that he's going to go, but Joseph is not going to come back to him. And one more little note there in that last verse. Now the Midianites had sold him in Egypt to Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh and captain of the guard. Okay, so it's a little confusing about the Ishmaelites and the Midianites, yeah. and they just have a different meaning. One has to do with truth, and the other has to do with good, of course, of course, of course. And what these people mean, Joseph, you see, represents the Lord, and it's all about a moment. Swedenborg writes at tremendous length. If you want to read about the story we're reading tonight, read 
Arcana Celestia volumes six and seven. You know, you'll have about you know thousands of pages of, of stuff to read about it. Uh, one little detail that jumped out at me um, was that this is talking about the reception of the Lord. Can you sort of feel in this story that it's about how the Lord is received? His brothers are the people of the church, you know, and they don't, they don't like him. Uh, it's a time when the church has wandered away from loving the Lord above all. And, uh, but the Ishmaelites in this story are simple, good people. So you may have sophisticated theologians meant by the brothers, you know, who just don't care for, you know, it's not about Jesus, it's not, you know, it's all the sophisticated stuff about the salvation by faith alone and all these little, how many angels can dance on the head of a pin or something. Uh, but they're simple, good people who still buy the Jesus idea. Uh, so they buy, they buy him. The brothers don't want the Lord anymore, but the, those who are in just living simple, good lives, well, I, sure, I'll buy, you know, that's precious to me. I'll, I'll, I'll buy him. And so that's a little hint of what that means there. Now, we skip chapter 38 altogether. It's absolutely fascinating. Let's go to chapter 39. And we resume. It, it seems on apparently on the surface to have nothing to do with the Joseph story. So we pick up in chapter 39 in the first verse there. Now, Joseph had been taken down to Egypt, and Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh, captain of the guard, an Egyptian, Thank you. bought him from the Ishmaelites who had taken him down there. Now, isn't that interesting that in chapter 37, verse 36, Potiphar bought him from the Midianites, and now mm. he's buying them from the Ishmaelites. Mm. <laughs> and, and both of them are mentioned back there in 37.25 and 37.27, uh, and the Midianites are in verse 28 there. Uh, you know, it, it's one of those things where like binaural uh, hearing or, or binocular vision or whatever, uh, that um, uh, it's, it's too, this stuff drives scholars crazy. They don't know what to do with it. Uh, but I think Swedenborg's explanation is so good of how it, has, it contains nuances about uh, both the truth and the good lives that these people are leading. But the Mennonites and the Ishmaelites essentially mean the same people. Now, so how is Joseph doing at this point? Uh, threatened with death by his brothers, thrown into a pit, and then sold into slavery. How's he doing? The Verse Lord two. was with Joseph. Look at that. And he was a successful man. Successful? Wait, wait. So he's successful? That, that's, that's just weird. This is only the beginning of the weirdness. But look at how he rises to success. It's, okay, hated by his brothers, thrown in a pit, sold into slavery, and it's going very well. Okay. <laughs> <clears throat> And he was in the house of his master, the Egyptian. And his master saw that the Lord was with him and that the Lord made all he did to prosper in his hand. Mm. So Joseph found favor in his sight and served him. Then he made him overseer of his house. Well, wait a minute. What? And all so that he Joseph, had... So Joseph, this slave... Yeah, go on. And all that he had, he put under his authority. So Joseph becomes second in command in Potiphar's house, you know, he's just a slave, sold into slavery, and yet he's doing so well, and Potiphar loves him so much that he just basically lets Joseph run the place, head to toe. Go on. So it was from the time that he had made him overseer of his house and all that he had, 
that the Lord blessed the Egyptian's house for Joseph's sake. Mm. And the blessing of the Lord was on all that he had in the house and in the field. Thus he left all that he had in Joseph's hand. And you see, Joseph is not at this point. We can only tell it indirectly, but Joseph is not apparently full of bitterness. He's not walking around moping and yelling and or what, you know. He's doing a wonderful job, and Potiphar just loves him because this, whatever this guy does works. And so he just hands everything to him. Go on. And he did not know what he had except for the bread which he ate. Yeah, he just handed everything to Joseph. Now Joseph was handsome in form and appearance. Okay, good. And it came to pass after these things that his master's wife cast longing eyes on Joseph. Uh-oh. And she said, lie with me. Is this going to go well? Okay. But he refused and, uh-huh. said, and said to his master's wife, look, my master does not know what is with me in, in the house. In other words, he trusts me utterly. Uh-huh. And he has committed all that he has to my hand. There is no one greater in this house than I, nor has he kept back anything from me but you, because you are his wife. How then can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? You see, there's a goodness in Joseph. He's in an entire, you know, some people might be tempted, like you leave your home and you've been mistreated by your siblings and everything, and then you find yourself in a foreign land. Well, like the prodigal son sort of went crazy when he was in that situation, Mm. you know. But Joseph doesn't go crazy. He's got a very clear sense of right and wrong, and he's still following everything that he knows is good and true and all that. Go on. So it was as she spoke to Joseph day by day that he did not heed her to lie with her or to be with her. But it happened about this time when Joseph went into the house to do his work and none of the men of the house was inside Mm. that she caught him by his garment saying, lie with me. But he left his garment in her hand and fled and ran outside. Yeah, he just won't. He won't do it. And so it was when she saw that he had left his garment in her hand and fled outside that she called to the men of her house and spoke to them, saying, See, he has brought into us a Hebrew to mock us. Mm. He came in to me to lie with me, and I cried out with a loud voice. And it happened when he heard that I lifted my voice and cried out that he left his garment with me and fled and went outside. Just an absolute evil lie from him. Yep. So she kept his garment with her until his master came home. Then she spoke to him with words like these, saying, The Hebrew servant whom you brought to us came into me to mock me. So it happened as I lifted my voice and cried out that he left his garment with me and fled outside. It's such an interesting charge because it just doesn't seem like there's a mocking bone in Joseph's body. You know what I mean? He doesn't seem like the mocking type. He doesn't seem like a bitter, sarcastic or what, you know. Uh, so it's a strange charge. But of course, Potiphar, here's the wife and here's Joseph's garment, yet another garment getting Joseph in trouble, <laughs> even though he's done nothing, you know. Go on. So it was when his master heard the words which his wife spoke to him, saying, your servant did to me after this manner, that his anger was aroused. Oh, boy. Then Joseph's master took him and put him into the prison, a place where the king's prisoners were confined. Okay, so now we've entered phase three, right? The phase king's one, prisoners. hated by your family. Phase two, <laughs> imprisoned. It's just, just wonderful, isn't it? And now phase three, now you're not only hated and a slave, but you're hated and a slave and imprisoned. 
Now, that said, I think it's kind of a minimum security place. You know, uh, it, it's the place where the king's prisoners are taken and everything. Uh, but what happens there? He was there in the prison. Yes, he was. But the Lord was with Joseph. Oh, the Lord had not left him. And showed him mercy. And he gave him favor in the sight of the keeper of the prison. Oh, okay. So now he's, he's not under Potiphar anymore. Potiphar's out of the picture. Now he's under this keeper of the prison. Now, I would feel sorry for myself. I'm almost certain I would feel sorry for myself <laughs> if I'd been rejected by my family and they wanted to kill me just because dad liked me because I was good. And, uh, and then you get sold into slavery. And then someone tells a lie and you get thrown in prison. You know, I feel sorry for Like I haven't done anything wrong. But what happens here? And the keeper of the prison committed to Joseph's hand all the prisoners who were in the prison. What? Whatever they did there, it was his doing. So he takes over the prison, and he does it in two verses or something, you know? <laughs> I mean, he just showed up, right? Now he's in charge, of, and it's weird because you think of things like the important thing is who's at the top, not who's the vice president, who's the president. You know, the important thing is who's in that top position. And yet, Joseph keeps turning into the vice president, if you see what I mean. You know, he's Potiphar's number two. He's the prison keeper's number two. What, what does that mean? Okay, let's read on. The keeper of the prison did not look into anything that was under Joseph's authority because the Lord was with him. And whatever he did, the Lord made it prosper. Wow. Okay. So, it's, it's weird. He's, so, is his life getting better? Is he getting, is, is it getting worse? It's kind of hard to tell, isn't it? Uh, he's not trying to, I think he's just trying to be a decent person, you know, but he could be excused for having a few bad days when he feels like, wow, my life is really not going in a good direction at all. You know, like nothing has worked out. I'm the unluckiest person I ever heard of. Right? I mean, it's, it's, it's terrible. Okay, let's look at chapter 40. Well, maybe we should go through this pretty quickly, but okay. um, let's see. These two men, there's a butler and a baker who are in there, and they both have a dream, and they're in the prison with them. And Joseph interprets their dreams. And look, we got to read this. Okay, so they're in the prison, and look at verse 6. So they've had these troubling dreams. They don't know what they mean. And Joseph came into them in the morning and looked at them and saw that they were sad. So Look he, at this. This guy's great. So right? he... <laughs> it's not your normal, you know, I don't, you know what I mean? He, he's, uh, he, he looks at them and he goes, oh, what's, what's wrong? He's in this miserable condition and he's caring for others. And he just keeps rising up like cream to the top because he's just a wonderful guy. Go on. So he asked Pharaoh's officers who were with him in the custody of his Lord's house, saying, Why do you look so sad today? Isn't that interesting? And they said to him, We each have had a dream, and there is no interpreter of it. So Joseph said to them, Do not interpretations belong to God? Tell them to me, please. So they tell him their dreams. The, the butler has a grape-related dream, and the <laughs> baker has a bread-related dream. And... Uh, and Joseph interprets them for them. It, well, I should say this. He interprets the butler's dream, which has a very good meaning. 
that he's going to get out of prison and his life's going to be much better. And then look in verse 14 where Joseph, this is the only hint you have anywhere in this text that I know of that he would rather not be in prison if it was all the same to everybody else. <laughs> what does he say? But remember me when it is well with you and please show kindness to me. Make mention of me to Pharaoh and get me out of this house. For indeed I was stolen away from the land of the Hebrews and also I have done nothing here that they should put me into the dungeon. Yeah, it's a very it's a heartbreaking plea because, you know, I, I'm here on just, you know, he, he's not complaining day and night, but he does when this guy's going to get out. Says, just mention me to Pharaoh because uh, I've done nothing wrong. And then this poor baker in verse 16, when he saw that the butler got a good interpretation, it emboldened him to go ahead and tell his dream to Joseph. Uh, I shouldn't laugh about it. And uh, so Joseph told him the interpretation in verse 19 there. Within three days, Pharaoh will lift off your head from you and hang you on a tree and the birds will eat your flesh from you. So that dream didn't work out quite as well as the butler's dream, uh, sadly. And, uh, and it happened exactly as I said. It was on Pharaoh's birthday, and he made this feast, and he brought up the butler and the baker, but he hanged the baker, and he restored the butler. But, verse 23, Yet the chief butler did not remember Joseph, but forgot him. Mm. So Joseph was at this point 28 years old, so this, he's been in there for 11, 12 mm. years, something like that. He's been in, in, in Potiphar's however long it took him to get down to Egypt and then be in Potiphar's service and then get into the prison. It's a long, it's a long time. He's 28 years old at this point, and he sees a way out, but it doesn't happen for him. Now, chapter 41, the last one that we'll read today. Then it came to pass at the end of two full years. Two full years he stays in the prison. That Pharaoh, you can't help but thinking that those might have been even harder times, you know, because there was like a ray of light, like a possibility that you get out or something. And then you just hear nothing. So what can you do? So what happened? So after two years, Pharaoh had a dream. Oh, Pharaoh has a dream now. And behold, he stood by the river. Mm. Suddenly, suddenly there came up out of the river seven cows, fine looking and fat, and they fed in the meadow. Then behold, seven other cows came up after them out of the river, ugly and gaunt, mm. and stood by the other cows on the bank of the river. And the ugly and gaunt cows ate up the seven fine-looking and fat cows. So Pharaoh awoke. Mm, he awoke. He slept and dreamed a second time, and suddenly seven heads of grain came up on one stalk, plump and good. Mm. Then behold, seven thin heads, blighted by the east wind, sprang up after them. And the seven thin heads devour the seven plump and full heads. So Pharaoh awoke, and indeed it was a dream. Aha, uh -huh. I think he sort of realizes, oh, it was just a dream when he wakes up. But it still troubles him a lot. Let's read on. Now it came to pass in the morning that his spirit was troubled, and he sent and called for all the magicians of Egypt and all its wise men. And Pharaoh told them his dreams, but there was no one who could interpret them for Pharaoh. It's a lot like that Daniel story, isn't it, where Nebuchadnezzar has a dream, but he, and he gets everybody to try to explain it to him, but he won't even tell them the dream in that case. Here, Pharaoh does tell mm -hmm. them the dream. And then what happens in verse 9, a very important moment? Then the chief butler spoke to Pharaoh, saying, I remember my faults this day. Oh, don't! Right, <laughs> yeah. Oh, Whoops. dream interpretation. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> you know, he's been rescued from prison. 
And, uh, and oh, that's right. Ooh, it stings his conscience. Go on. When Pharaoh was angry with his servants and put me in custody in the house of the captain of the guard, both me and the chief baker, we each had a dream in one night, he and I. Each of us dreamed according to the interpretation of his own dream. Mm. Now, there was a young Hebrew man with us there, a servant of the captain of the guard. And we told him, and he interpreted our dreams for us. To each man he interpreted according to his own dream. And it came to pass just as he interpreted for us. So it happened. He restored me to my office, and he hanged him. Then Pharaoh sent and called Joseph, and they brought him quickly out of the dungeon. Now listen to this. Listen to this. I want to think about this a little bit. Um, you know, they brought him quickly Maybe we'll come back to this in a little bit. But think about this. He's 30 years old now. The problem started when he was 17. You know, it's been 13, 14 years on end, suffering, misery, wrongfully accused. And then it changes in a moment really fast. Like bang! All of a sudden, bang! And watch what happens. They brought him quickly out of the dungeon, and he shaved, changed his clothing, and came to Pharaoh. Boom, all of a sudden. Like, you've got to be ready for that moment. You don't know when it's going to be your turn. And all of a sudden, whoop, shave, whoop, change the clothes, boom, changes his clothes. Joseph and clothing, clothing, interesting, mm -hmm. huh? Go on. And Pharaoh said to Joseph, I have had a dream, and there is no one who can interpret it. But I have heard it said of you that you can understand a dream to interpret it. So Joseph, excuse me, answered Pharaoh, saying, it is not in me. God will give Pharaoh an answer of peace. Yeah, so it's, it's, it's not me, it, it's God. Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, Behold, in my dream I stood on the bank of the river. Suddenly seven cows came up out of the river, fine-looking and fat, and they fed in the meadow. Then behold, seven other cows came up after them, poor and very ugly and gaunt, such ugliness as I have never seen in all the land of Egypt. And the gaunt and ugly cows ate up the first seven, the fat cows. When they had eaten them up, no one would have known that they had eaten them, for they were just as ugly as at the beginning. So I awoke. Also I saw in my dream, and suddenly seven heads came up on one stalk, full and good. Then behold, seven heads withered, thin and blighted by the east wind, sprang up after them. And the thin heads devoured the seven good heads. So I told this to the magicians, but there was no one who could explain it to me. Then Joseph said to Pharaoh, The dreams of Pharaoh are one. God has shown Pharaoh what he is about to do. The seven good cows are seven years, and the seven good heads are seven years. The dreams are one. Yes, uh, we had a whole Bible study one night called The Dreams Are One, and uh, about how two equal one, just like the Ishmaelites and the Midianites seem to be the same people, and these two dreams seem to be the same thing. Go on. And the seven thin and ugly cows which came up after them are seven years, and the seven empty heads blighted by the east wind are seven years of famine. Mm. This is the thing which I have spoken to Pharaoh. God has shown Pharaoh what he is about to do. Indeed, seven years of great plenty will come throughout all the land of Egypt. So this is like the voice of the prophet, isn't it? You know, this is what's going to happen. But after them, seven years of famine will mm. arise, and all the plenty will be forgotten in the land of Egypt, and the famine will deplete the land. Mm. 
So the plenty will not be known in the land because of the famine following, for it will be very severe. Very grievous. Yes, that's right. Go on. And the dream was repeated to Pharaoh twice, because the thing is established by God, and God will shortly bring it to pass. Now, not only has he understood the dream, kind of rearranged the two good images, brought them together, the two bad images, brought them together, explained that the two dreams are one, and explained what they mean. But now he gives some unsolicited advice. <laughs> Go on. Now, therefore, let Pharaoh select a discerning and wise man and set him over the land of Egypt. Yeah. Why don't you put someone really capable in charge of the land of Egypt? <laughs> let Pharaoh do this and let him anoint officers over the land to collect one-fifth of the produce of the land of Egypt in the seven plentiful years. Yes, kind of a double tithe, 20%, right? So take 20% of the produce in the seven plenteous years. Yep. And let them gather all the food of those good years that are coming and store up grain under the authority of Pharaoh and let them keep food in the cities. Then that food shall be as a reserve for the land for the seven years of famine, mm. which shall be in the land of Egypt, that the land may not perish during the famine. So, so the advice having gone from having a disturbing dream... And then someone says, oh, well, there's this, you know, foreigner in prison who I think can help you, you know. <laughs> so Pharaoh, well, clean him up, you know. So they get him cleaned up. They bring him in. He shaves and everything. And, uh, and not only has he given him an interpretation of the dream, but he's given him advice. You know, not only does he tell him what's going to happen for the next 14 years, but what to do about it. Here's a plan. You know, why don't you just, you know, I've got a plan. <laughs> why don't you just store up the food while things are good, and then you'll be all ready. You know, maybe the Lord is kind of warning you, and you can get on top of it now. You can get out ahead of the curve because you know what's going to happen because the Lord sent you this dream and sent you this interpretation. So, so the advice was good in the eyes of Pharaoh and in the eyes of all his servants. And Pharaoh, here's an amazing moment. And Pharaoh said to his servants, Can we find such a one as this, a man in whom is the Spirit of God? Yeah. Doesn't it kind of strike Pharaoh at this point that, how about you being in charge? <laughs> you know? He's having the same response the prison keeper did and the same response Potiphar had. It was like, you seem to know what you're doing. Why don't we put you in charge? Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, Inasmuch as God has shown you all this, there is no one as discerning and wise as you. You shall be over my house, and all my mm. people shall be ruled according to your word. Only in regard to the throne will I be greater than you. Look at that. For the third time tonight, he's in the number two, but a very powerful number two slot. Like you have a nominal leader... And then Joseph's really in charge. But he's number two, you know, when push comes to shove or whatever. Okay, go on. And Pharaoh said to Joseph, See, I have set you over all the land of Egypt. Wow. Okay, so let me get this straight. Joseph wakes up in the morning, a slave in prison, big beard on his face, years in prison. And in the evening, he lies down in charge of Egypt, shaven, right? Pow! Now, I think it's actually kind of difficult. You know, a lot of people who win the lottery, they get depressed. It's difficult for them. It's kind of difficult to go from a really dark situation to really incredible success. 
How is Joseph... This is kind of another temptation in a way. How is he going to handle this? Go on. Then Pharaoh took his signet ring off his hand and put it on Joseph's hand. Mm. And he clothed him in, in garments of fine linen and put a gold chain around his neck. Wow. And he had him ride in the second chariot, which he had. And they cried out before him, bow the knee. So he set him over all the land of Egypt. You don't have to come with me, but I just want to read a passage very quickly from Philippians, Epistle of Paul, chapter 2, verse 10 that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow. This is the Jesus story we're talking about here in the Old Testament, that everybody should bow. Bow the knee when Joseph comes in. That's right. Pharaoh also said to Joseph, I am Pharaoh, and without your consent, no man may lift his hand or foot in all the land of Egypt. And Pharaoh called Joseph's name zaphnath Paaneah. And he gave him as a wife, Asenath, the daughter of Potipharah, priest of On. So Joseph went out over all the land of Egypt. So he's renamed. He's, he looks different. He's got a ring. He's got different clothing. He's got the gold chain around his neck. Uh, he's now Zafnath Paanea. Because, of course, you'd have to have an Egyptian name to have authority in Egypt, right? I mean, you couldn't go around with some Hebrew name or something. So... Uh, and how old was he? Joseph was 30 years old when he stood before Ver Pharaoh, king of Egypt. Mm. And Joseph went out from the presence of Pharaoh and went throughout all the land of Egypt. And let's just read to the end of the chapter there, and then I'm dying to talk a little bit about this. Now in the seven plentiful years, the ground brought forth abundantly. Mm. So he gathered up all the food of the seven years which were in the land of Egypt and laid up the food in the cities. He laid up in every city the food of the fields which surrounded them. Joseph gathered very much grain as the sand of the sea until he stopped counting, for it was immeasurable. Mm. And look at this little interesting detail. And to Joseph were born two sons before the years of famine came. Before the years of famine. Whom Asenath, the daughter of Potipharah, priest of On, bore to him. Wonderful pronunciation, dear reader. Go on. <laughs> Joseph called the name of the firstborn Manasseh, for God has made me forget all my toil and all my father's house. You hear that? Mm. Yeah, that's right. So he was toiling. You only hear about it now. But he said, God has made me forget all my toil so and all my father's house that he had lost, you know, long ago. And the name of the second he called Ephraim. For God has caused me to be fruitful in the land of my affliction. In the land of my affliction. Should have called tonight affliction, it's adversity. Mm -hmm. So he has just risen up through adversity. And even though the adversity keeps getting worse, he's just rising up, standing up like that sheaf, right? Until literally he's standing before Pharaoh, and pretty soon he's, I mean, within minutes, it seems, he, he's the biggest thing in, in, the, in the land of Egypt. Go on. Then the seven years of plenty which were in the land of Egypt ended. And the mm. seven years of famine began to come, as Joseph had said. The famine was in all lands, but in all the land of Egypt, there was bread. Uh -huh. So when all the land of Egypt was famished, the people cried to Pharaoh for bread. Then Pharaoh said to all the Egyptians, go to Joseph. Whatever he says to you, do. Yep, go to Joseph. Whatever he says to you, do it. 
The famine was over all the face of the earth, and Joseph opened all the storehouses and sold to the Egyptians, and the famine became severe in the land of Egypt. So all countries came to Joseph in Egypt to buy grain, because the famine was severe in all lands. So that's the end of our reading tonight, and the, uh, it just makes you marvel. If you're with us uh, next week, we'll be following the story. It goes on from here in an amazing way. And uh, Joseph himself refers to how God has brought good out of this situation. We'll, we'll hear next week. Um, it's amazing to see how this series of miserable circumstances has led to this amazing outcome. And I would submit to you that the day before Pharaoh had his dream, Joseph had no idea where his life was going, right? No idea. Rotting in an Egyptian prison far from home, hasn't seen his family or whatever. He's even lost Potiphar, all the, every, everything. He, and, and he's not rotting in the sense that he's in charge of the prison, you know, and he's taking care of everybody, helping them with their dream interpretation. But he's working in a very small field. There's just one other scripture I want to read real quick. Let's see if I can find it. Uh, it's in Matthew. In the New Testament, it's in chapter 25, and I believe it's in that middle parable, is it not? Yes, the talents. Here it is. So Matthew 25, uh, the person invested the talents that the Lord had given him, uh, and he brought back another five talents. And in verse 21, what does the Lord say? His Lord said to him, well done, good and faithful servant. You were faithful over a few things. I will make you ruler over many things. Well, wow, is that true of Joseph? Wow. You faithfully took care of a handful of prisoners in a little king's prison. I'll put you in charge of a huge, powerful nation in one day. You know, like, uh, wow, you've been faithful over a few things. I'll make you ruler over many things. Enter into the joy of your Lord. In verse 23 says the same thing to the other person who had two talents and invested them. All right. Okay, so what can we say about this story? I think in some ways it would be very challenging. First of all, it doesn't, isn't he a picture? I don't know if you know this passage in Swedenborg's works that talks about the fact that when people are in the stream of providence, they don't get crushed by defeat. They don't get elated by victory. You know, they're unruffled in spirit and that kind of thing. Well, Joseph is the most magnificent picture of this to me, that when his circumstances are miserable, he doesn't, you just don't get a feeling from the text that he's full of self-pity and wretched, you know, bitterness against the human race or something. And then in one day, his circumstances ridiculously change. You know, he wakes up a prisoner, he goes to bed with a different name and a different face and different clothes and, and a whole different set of responsibilities. Uh, overnight, he goes from being in charge of a few people in the prison to being in charge of not just Egypt, but he ends up managing the famine for all the nations surrounding there. You know, we'll see, it goes on and on and on that his having seen this, you talk about providence where without Pharaoh's dream, uh, what, what would have happened? Because the Lord gave Pharaoh this warning of what was happening, but gave it to him in a way that he couldn't understand it without Joseph. 
And Joseph was not only the solution to the interpretation of the dream. He was the solution to what the dream was about. And I love it when Joe, you know, how, I don't know, it's just wonderful when Joseph says, you should get some really capable person <laughs> to kind of manage this whole thing. <laughs> and Pharaoh just immediately says, is there anybody else like this? I mean, come on, you know, who am I going to get? These magicians who can't even tell me what my dream is about? You're it, you know, you're on. <laughs> you ready for this? <laughs> and he gives him his chariot and off he goes. This is a picture of the Lord. Now, why is Joseph always number two? If it's the Lord, shouldn't he be number one? Who's the Potiphar? Who's the keeper of the prison? Who's the Pharaoh that the Lord is second in command to? Running everything, but second in command. You know who it is? Ourselves ourself. This is a picture of the Lord in our lives. The Lord, when we really get it right, the Lord is in charge of everything, and yet we still have this nominal role that we supposedly exist, and we supposedly, you know, we have this free choice or whatever. So he's second in command. Isn't that unbelievable? Nobody wants to be second. People would rather get a bronze than a silver, you know, they want to shoot themselves, you know. But here he is. He wants to be in that position where he's going to let Potiphar be Potiphar. He's going to let the keeper of the prison be the keeper of the prison. He's going to let Pharaoh be Pharaoh. Isn't that amazing? I'm not trying to take over your country here. Just trying to help out in any way that I can. And when people realize how good he is and they trust him, they hand him everything. You, you, you take over. I don't even know, I, I scarcely know what I eat anymore. He just handles the whole thing for me. It's a beautiful picture of what the Lord can do for us. And so here's Joseph who's being so much like the Lord all along in this story. And yet it's going horribly for a very long time. It's also interesting to think about the fact that if you picture that when Jesus, so Joseph kind of already in this story, he kind of dies and goes to heaven, doesn't he? Like he was... He was this kid amongst the other kids, but now he brought a bad report about them and so forth. But he has risen up. He's, he's different. And I love the little glimpse that it gives us of Jesus' childhood, of his teenage years and so on. I wonder if it's, it can even be interpreted literally in a way that when, when he was between 17, because when he started his public ministry, he was 30. Did Jesus have this kind of experience where he was in some kind of a prison spiritually, you know, afflicted, going through constant temptation and yet being good, helping others, doing what he can and saying, hey, remember me to Pharaoh and everything. And then all of a sudden one day, pow, oh, you're on. You're baptized. Boom, you got a ministry. Go, go. You know, <laughs> wow. He, he's got to be ready for this instant insane promotion where he's gone from, you know, maybe before that he was helping a few people. You know, he could help so-and-so and help so-and-so in certain ways. All of a sudden, he's the savior of the entire human race, you know. Wow, it's breathtaking to think about taking on that responsibility, just going from A to B in one day, you know. It's incredible. Who, who else could take it 
you know, the Lord of the Rings, everybody puts the ring on. They go insane, you know, but the Lord doesn't go insane, you know. He can handle it. He has that goodness of heart. Wow. So it speaks to me about the Easter story and about what the Lord was doing when he came into this world. And it speaks to me. And the other thing I love to think about is how did the Lord get to be the Lord? What was Jesus doing when he was younger? In Bible study ages ago, we talked about this. He was studying the Word. He was reading about Joseph. You know? Oh. Oh? Well, that doesn't sound so good. Oh, okay. <laughs> you know? And he's kind of, you know, he's, he, I, I think the, the lights are turning. You know, he realized, oh, that's my story. You know, when he chides people in, in Luke chapter 24, you know, foolish and slow of heart to believe that all the things that the prophets said and so on. He opened up with Moses and, you know, here we are in the books of Moses. He opened up with Moses and the prophets and the Psalm, the things concerning himself. Well, this is a huge thing about himself. Look at the goodness that he's got. He keeps loving people as wisely as he can. And they try to kill him. Okay, he loves people as wisely as he can. Well, now he's in Potiphar's household, so he loves people as wisely as he can. And he's got a challenge. The wife is coming after him. What's he going to, you know, what, what, well, I'm not going to wrong my master. You know, it's just not right. And so he gets out of that situation, but it leaves him vulnerable. He gets charged and everything, thrown into prison. Well, I'm going to keep being a decent person. I'll keep, keep loving people as wisely as I can. Oh, there's a couple of guys look sad. Hey, why do you look sad today? Oh, you had a dream? Yeah, well, I, it's not me, but God can help you with that. I'll, 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 you know, what an amazing spirit. So he's being prepared. And I don't think, he, I don't think Joseph knows where this thing is going. Because it's not like he sat down and wrote in his daily planner, you know, wrote in his journal, to take over Egypt, you know. You know, like he, he wasn't fishing. He didn't want that job. He wasn't trying to get that job. It just happened that by being hated by his family, then enslaved, then in prison, pop, oh, now you're in charge. You know? And you look at it from the, the Lord's, the providential point of view. The Lord puts Joseph and Pharaoh together in this relationship, and he's been prepared. He was prepared by running Potiphar's household, prepared by running the prison. He can't see where it's going, but it actually has an amazing outcome where he's able to do good on a much vaster scale. And that scripture, you've been faithful in a few things. Ah, that's, that's powerful, isn't it? it do, have you had the experience? I've had the experience in my life sometimes. You know, when I was younger, I'd get some dumb job just cleaning a department store or something. And I would just think, this is such a waste. You know, I should be doing something more important or something more glamorous or something like that. You know, but it struck me even at that time, wow, if I don't do this well, why is, is life going to give me anything better than this? To, you know, if I can't even clean a department store, well, uh, I'm not going get, to get to the next level. So trying to put, put that love and wisdom into it. Um, mm, extraordinary goodness. I love that fact, as I already mentioned, that he goes to join the church where it is. Uh, all of this is about his visiting the people and coming to the people. And in some ways, uh, it seems like uh, I read this Joseph story that we've covered tonight as the Lord's 
years, you know, like between childhood and when he's revealed at the age of 30, how is he developing and what's going on. There are little hints in there. But I also think there's a sense in which when he's 17 and he gets thrown in that pit, so many things there, the shekels of silver, the whole deal, seems like the crucifixion, that it makes you think, whoa, if that's the crucifixion, then what's all the stuff that happens after that? Potiphar's house, you know, is the Potiphar's household something about Christianity version 1.0, the prison that he rises up in? Is there going to be another phase that we haven't even hit yet where he's going to, where Pharaoh's going to recognize him at a time when actually who the Lord really is is kind of offloaded, is, you know, not relevant like the brothers hate him, they envy him, they don't, they don't want to hear about it, you know, uh, they want to get rid of him. A lot like that parable where they say the owner of the vineyard comes and say, let's kill him and then the vineyard will be ours kind of thing, you know, was it that sort of spirit there, uh, but the Lord is going to rise up anyway. Uh, and I love the fact that even when our Pharaoh is disturbed, even that feeling of being disturbed is from the Lord because it's leading in a good direction. And isn't it beautiful that the Lord knows what to do? Isn't it magnificent when we have the strange, troubling dream that we're experiencing every day called life on earth? <laughs> isn't it nice that the Lord knows what's happening? And even after the Lord is in charge, it doesn't mean you're going to avoid the seven years of famine. It's coming. You know, his being in charge of us doesn't mean we're not going to go through it, but it means we're going to survive it. That the Lord, isn't it nice of the Lord to know the famine we're going to face and that he stores up goods, 20%, you know, tucking it away while it's good, stuffing it here and up in the attic and every, you know, hiding piles in every city. He's got a stockpile, so he's ready for when that hits. So one of the things that Swedenborg says about this passage is that, that a lot of what we read is about temptations, about how you don't move forward spiritually unless you go through temptations. And this is about Jesus' temptations when he was here in this world, when he was being afflicted. He was not crushed by the defeat. He was not elated by the success. And uh, I think of that moment where sometimes when we've been through a depression or a long, difficult stretch in our lives and we sort of despair of change ever happening, you don't know if today is the day when Pharaoh's going to call you up, you know? You don't know when it changes. The Lord, the Lord knows that stuff. But there could be an exit very soon. And so keep working a good game because uh, it's going to matter. That transition can be kind of heady. And uh, so uh, it, it all matters. It matters how we are in Potiphar's house. It matters how we are in prison, how we conduct ourselves when our brothers try to kill us and throw us in a pit. Uh, all of it matters. And Joseph is a model of how to rise through adversity. Thank you, good friends. Let's close with a prayer. Mm.
our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, you are the one God of heaven and earth. We thank you, Lord God, for knowing the meaning of the dream. We read the dream of your word, but we don't know always what it means, Lord. We thank you for supplying a meaning, giving us the interpretation and also being the solution that the dream is about. Our Father who art in the heavens, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, as in heaven so upon the earth. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we also forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever. Amen. Let's keep repenting and playing a good game, friends. You never know how it's going to turn out.